a mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cynonauts! I'm Ian. I'm Boom. This is Catcher. And welcome to the fifth episode of Synonauts Exploring the Criterion. Ooh. Boom, Catcher. We are off to a solid roll. We have had some great conversations so far. How are you feeling? We're kind of through our, we're almost at the start of our second rotation. Yes. Uh, how, yeah. how are you feeling about that? Feeling good about it. I mean, we've picked some like really awesome movies. Um, so I'm excited to just see what happens next. It's going to be Boom's pick later in the episode. So Oof. I think she's teasing out her selection. <laughs> Catcher, how are you feeling? Are you still on, Are you still happy to be on this journey? I am. I feel like Tuesdays are the happiest day of the week for me right now. And it's like it's so much fun to just like know we're going to get to have some fun film conversations and I get to hang out with my homies. So yeah. I lo- yeah. Yeah, I'm having a really good time and I'm really excited for all the movies that we've seen and even more excited for the movies that we're going to see. Yes. And it's nice that we have something to do because Ontario, well, Toronto specifically just entered lockdown. lockdown so if this is your first episode of Synonauts, thank you for joining us. Uh, if this isn't, thank you for coming back. Make sure you spread the word, share the love of Synonauts. We have been slowly growing our community here. Uh, yeah. So we appreciate each and every one of you who have taken the time to listen in. This mission, the Synonauts are going to travel to France. This is from Catcher's Selection. Woo woo, Barry Jenkins Collection. Barry Jenkins Collection and the Catcher Collection. They're <laughs> both one of the same at this point. Catcher's taking us to France to discuss La Reine. Uh, I'm going to apologize for yep. the three Synonauts. Just, oh. We're just going to start it right now before we get into it. There's going to be a lot of bad pronunciation yeah. of French names and French words in this episode. And I know we have a strong Canadian contingency. Doesn't mm. matter. So being the American here, I will have, I feel like I can take slightly less blame as I hear it far less than you two. Yeah, we're, um, we're going to get some slack on this one. <laughs> I in, have been kicked out of many a French class. So yes. that's part of my problem. So. French class for me in grade nine was after lunch and I was always high. <laughs> so uh, I, I apologize amazing. ahead of time but before we discuss uh, La Haine, uh for the layman La Haine, if you look at it phonetically <laughs> for us uh, English speakers uh, let's catch up what 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 did y'all watch this week Boom we'll start with you or do this week anything what yeah um, well just with like the lockdown and everything I had a pretty like reality forward week Um, just like had to get some affairs in order. If I have affairs, I don't know what I was doing. You have affairs. Uh, Yeah, totally. Left and right affairs. Here are their affairs. Anyway, (laughs) I didn't have, um, a lot of time this like last week. So I didn't do a lot of like watching new stuff. Um, I did a bit of like rewatching cause I Mm -hmm. just kind of needed like something familiar and comforting although well my first thing isn't <laughs> super comforting but um I started a rewatch of um Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that is not light watching. No, yeah. it is not light watching. But um, I, I watched it earlier in the year, and obviously, I think it's one of like the most important shows of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to do like a quick revisit, and I just think like the level of raw creativity and like articulation is like god tier. Um, <laughs> straight up, like. A lot of the story centers around like sexual assault and how survivors and friends of family of survivors and like assailants navigate that kind of those like happenstances. And instead of like looking at it in a black and white way, Michaela Cole kind of like takes this. I don't know. She kind of explores these ideas on on a spectrum and she doesn't pretend like she has all the answers, which I really appreciate. We're also taking a look at like identity politics and and drug use and social media and all these like woes of the millennial generation. And mm-hmm. I think this show is doing it in a way that like all the other shows wish they, they were mm. doing it. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of like brilliant comedy in there. So yeah, I think everybody should take the time to watch this show. Maybe just like, have some like comfort food or something nearby because there is a lot, there's a lot of heavy content, but that show is just incredible. Yep. Everybody watch it. <laughs> 100. But yeah, so I, so I did that. And then I also, in my little rewatch moment, um, I rewatched Into the Spider-Verse ahead mm. of the 70 millimeter pod episode yeah Yeah. so I was like just I saw they were doing it I was super stoked to listen um and I hadn't seen it in a while so I figured why not and to me like this movie is just such an absolute triumph and like last week I was talking about Jingle Jangle and how it was kind of like (laughs) instant mood elevation and that is like exactly how I feel when I when I watch Spider-Verse like it's just so clever and imaginative and like perfectly crafted um, and I also on the pod really appreciated the conversations um, about like the display of male vulnerability in Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Like that's something I'm also, cause we we're talking about like Michaela Cole and her honesty, but like in terms of like toxic masculinity and like just like male vulnerability, that's also something like I'm really looking to in film and media these days. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and again on representation, like I have a little brother who is 17 And my sister and I are just like constantly striving to give him like a space where he can feel free to be like creative and vulnerable and like, and movies like this are just great because they're just so multifaceted. And instead of like me badgering him and like telling him it's okay to cry all the time, like it's just nice to know that there's (laughs) things like this that are like setting an example and and I get Mm -hmm. really stoked on it. So that was, I mean, obviously you guys should just listen to the pod if you're listening to this but that was a highlight of that episode for me and a highlight of my week was just we rewatching spider-verse nice yeah shout out shout out to the 70 millimeter boys they're a great podcast yeah catcher how about you i watched gemini man so I, didn't, I definitely didn't have any sort of emotional connection with the movies I was watching today or this week, I should say. I just wanted to see what this movie was all about. Fair. Uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime. So I was like, okay, I want to watch. I guess they're not projecting it at the, the 
like the speed at which that was shot, wasn't it done at like 120? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was supposed to be shot in like the newest FPS or something type so. of technology. Yeah, something like that. So mm, I don't think it I, was that done that way. But I figured, let's why not? I've like uh, ha- created a new love for uh, Face Off. Like it wasn't really something I grew up on, oh, and like over God, the last face couple off years, ten ten baby. Oh yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I rewatched a- Face Off last week as well, and in your comment on Letterbox, fucking killed me. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it three stars, and then he commented, he's like, "You dropped these," and it was two more, <laughs> two more stars. Yeah, well, you did. So just, it's to, a crazy movie. It's yeah. a crazy, it's fucking incredible. Yeah. So I figured, okay, well, John Woo's got a. Like maybe this is another face. Like maybe this is the new face off. Okay. And so I watched it, and it's bat. It is batshit crazy. It's whatever plot. It's very strange, but there's the action sequences are crazy. There's a scene where they fight each other in the catacombs, and it's mostly in the dark, and it's mm-hmm. so cool. It's so cool. Wait, I have a new drinking game for synonauts. Oh, yes. And it's drink every time catcher calls something a whatever plot. <laughs> is that a thing I say? Yeah, yeah, you have said that a couple times. Oh, great. Okay. All right, we're oh. going to start keeping tabs of that. Yeah, like keep that a list. I'll make shirts. <laughs> That's, that'll be vitally important. Um, okay, what else I was watching? Oh, I've been watching old episodes of Top Gear on YouTube because okay. I, miss Top Gear, I miss Top Gear. And uh, some Catfish, the television show. <laughs> Big week for catcher. God, and then, but and then, mo- the yeah, the most important one was I watched this Kanye West documentary. It was on YouTube. Mm-hmm. They've been like YouTube algorithm has been like sending it to me, and it's just like an online someone like went like a and fan cut, one, like a fan documentary where they've just cut interviews and stuff together, and mm-hmm. it just went through his like whole musical career mm. using the, each album as like a theme. Yeah, and. uh yeah, I just fell in love with Kanye West all over again, like 40 minutes. Nice. And, 40 uh, minutes, nice. Yeah, it's good. It was cool. And I watched uh, some behind the scenes of making of the Black Album, Jay-Z. Nice. Cool. So that's what I watched. Good good spread. Of yeah, it was all kinds of stuff. But Gemini Man, my goodness. <laughs> I might <laughs> have to good. watch that. Yeah, you have to. It's so fun. Like, it's a it's bananas. But that's there. That's it. What about you, Ian? What, what were you watching this week? Yeah. Were you still playing PlayStation or yeah, did you I get was, away? I, I was playing a ton of PlayStation because I started my NBA 2K, my player career. Oh. So I've been doing a bunch of that. Uh, in terms of like watching things, so uh, I really didn't watch any movies this week other than La Gen. Uh, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but uh, I have been watching. The Great British Bake Off. Do you two watch that show? I've seen episodes here and there, and it's okay. lit. Yeah, okay. I've seen a uh, season or two, yeah. It was a pretty controversial last episode. The, this, the finale is this Friday, um, although our friends in the UK will have already seen it, but here on the, in the North America, we get the episode on Friday. Someone who went home should not have gone home, and I'm not <gasps> happy about it. I hate I when that, that happens. Yeah. So, a little, so I'm curious where the, uh, where the finale is going to go. And then uh, I watched this... Um, short this animated short on netflix called if anything happens i love you um it was recommended to me by our buddy caleb um who is a host on the lost light the lost light podcast uh they talk about transformers yeah it's so cool yeah it's really cool uh even if you don't watch or read transformers give it a give it a world lost light our buddies jim and caleb host that show um but this doc this animated short i don't want to like if you haven't heard about this don't read anything about it um it is like 12 minutes on netflix uh just be prepared it's very 
heavy stuff. Okay. But it is really good. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be a shoe in for the best animated short at oh. the Academy Awards this year. Um, the animation is amazing. The story is incredible. And it really just shows like, you know, what they do in 12 minutes, a lot of movies can't do in an hour and a half. Wow. So definitely give it a whirl. Prepare, prepare yourself. It's, it's pretty heavy. Okay. Um, but yeah. So that's what I watched this week. Uh, if you want to let us know what you watched, you should shoot us an email. Leave us a voicemail, cinenutspod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also comment on our stuff on Twitter or Instagram. So let's get into it. Catcher, where are you taking us on our journey this week? We're going to take our time machines. We're going to go to France. <laughs> We're going to France. The year is 1986. Uh, proposals for education reform have been put forth by the French government, and this has not gone well with the students. And they're causing uh, large-scale protests all across the country. The vibe is basically they want to give uh, universities more power and more control over who they admit, how they admit, and how much it costs, as well as a bunch of other things. A lot of these new reforms are going to put immigrants and people who are not from France uh, traditionally in a really hard spot, and it's just going to make it harder for a lot of people, but uh, uh, mostly immigrants. During these protests, a kid named Malik Osukin is killed when he's arrested by, by police and kept in custody. And while he's in custody, he's beaten to death. This death basically causes even larger riots throughout France. And two days later, all of the proposals are basically scrapped. During these riots, who do we have? But a young Matthew Kasovitz, director of the film. So moving forward, we're going to go to 1993, and a young man by the name of Makom Mombole is uh, arrested with a few of his friends, and they're taken into custody and they're brought to jail, and the two friends are let go, but while uh, Makom is in custody, he's being interrogated, interrogated by one of these cops, and during that interrogation, he pulls a gun out and he's using it to sort of push him around and throw some weight behind his interrogation. And during that process, he is shot in the head, point blank range, and is killed. This causes massive riots all across of France again, mostly in Paris. And that same day, Matthew Kasovitz takes that experience and those two experiences, and he starts writing Bahane. So inspired by these killings, Kasovitz sets out to write a film that he hopes will shed light on the realities of life for immigrants living in impoverished areas in Paris and explore the cyclical nature of both violence and hate. Three months before shooting, Kasovitz will take uh, the three leads of the film and actually move in to the projects where they'll be shooting, and they will spend time basically trying to gain the trust of the people that they are trying to tell the stories of. This film will go on to be huge. It will win uh, César Awards, which is essentially like the French, uh, the French Oscars. They will win for Best Editing and Best Picture. And the director will win for Best Director at Cannes that year. But what I think is most important uh, to the soul of the film, it is actually seen by the then Prime Minister of France, and it is screened for all... Under his demand, is basically screened for all the ministers who are working in France at the time, basically because he feels that everyone should see this movie. And he says that this is a beautiful work of cinematic art, and it could make us more aware of certain realities. He basically says that this thing is so important because it's going to shed light 
on things that we just don't understand. That's sort of the setup. That's what we're going into. That's sort of the underpinnings of what, what this story is. And I, I know that we're going to get into how it's relevant, obviously, to like more mo- our, our modern times now. But I want to try and first like take a look at the style of the film. And just, I want to throw, I'll start with you, Ian. Like, what did you think about how it looked, how it felt, the clothes, the sound, the music? Like, what, what did you like or what, what did you think about the movie? I'm not even going to be around the bush. I absolutely love this movie. This is, this is honestly one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm not even going to wait 40 minutes to <laughs> say that. I, from the very first scene of this movie, I was like, this movie's going to be amazing and it absolutely was like every minute of this movie is good there's not one second where i wanted to look away i like stopped taking notes after you know a couple minutes in because i was like i can't like obviously because there's subtitles but i just i could not look away like the black and white like the cinematography the acting the dialogue like it just does so many things so perfectly that i like you know it's hard to put into words how much i like loved this Mm -hmm. movie uh I mean that that'll be my opening statement on this. <laughs> Boom, what about you? Um, I'm in a similar boat. I mean, I like that we all kind of went into this blindly because I had never seen the film before and I know Catcher when you picked it last week, you were just like this is something that Barry and Jacob says is good, so like let's check it out and I'm so glad we did. I'm honestly surprised like that this it was never like never came to be on my radar until now. Um, it feels like it's just so important and it is kind of, it is one of a kind. Like I do think there now are like a lot of things like it um, in terms of maybe subject matter, but in mm-hmm. execution, no, um, there's, there's nothing like it. And I do. So I really enjoy like the black and white and I'm not even a big black and white movie person. If movies are black and white, it'll kind of deter me from wanting to I mean, see them, to be honest. And, and Same, same. It works so well with this. I mean, I think you associate black and white films with being like classic films. And I think this is a a classic, like a neoclassic, right? That's my initial kind yeah, of no. vibe. Yeah, no, I, th- I feel the same way. It just in terms of um, like specifically the black and white. Mm-hmm. Like I think what's so great about that is it makes it timeless. Like it yeah. doesn't, mm. you don't, it you now don't associate it necessarily with one specific time. Exactly. And like their outfits, I mean, I guess are might also be timely and like it's the fashion is coming back around. Yeah. So it makes, <laughs> maybe that's why it feels a little bit more timeless right now, but just like, they're so cool. They all look so cool. Yeah. Everyone looks amazing. Right. You know, it's, this is obviously like streetwear is like a thing now. Yeah. Like that, like mm-hmm. that. It's just that, you know, the roots of it are like in this, Obviously, they're hyper inspired by like what's going on in America, in France. Like that's obviously a big thing. Hip hop yeah. is such a huge like. They get three out of the four pillars of hip hop. Each get mm. a scene in this movie. They don't do any rapping scenes, but graffiti gets a great sequence right at the beginning. Yeah, that mm-hmm. DJ sequence is inc- awesome. The break dancing is great. There's just no rapping. I, and I was waiting till the end of the movie. Like, when's the when are we gonna get it? We got the other three. When, when are we gonna get a nice like rap scene? But we didn't. So that's but- all right. But they they you they feature rap music like heavily throughout rap music, a lot. but like yeah. not. But there's no, there's no, no like one, cipher, street cipher, or something exactly like, that. like right. some kids on the street like doing a quick like battle, or even just like going back and forth, even in the background because each of the rest of them got them. So, but also like visually, like 
Spike Lee. There was some like Spike Lee vibes in yeah. this movie that I totally mm-hmm. loved. Like a lot of like the zoom, in, like the walk-in zooms and the sort of like slightly, ele- like not elevated, but like slightly fantastical sort of approaches to the cinematography. Yeah. That's the initial thing for me. Like, do I love looking at it? And Ian, like you said, like, I just wanted to keep looking at it. It was yeah. so cool. Before we dive too deep, in yeah. case people who haven't watched it, A, you absolutely should. Uh, but B, this is uh, the, the, the plot line of this and Catcher sort of outlined it in, in his uh, context journey to the past. Uh, it basically focuses around 24 hours in the life of three uh, young men who live in the um, Parisian projects, uh, Vins, Hubert, and Said. One of their friends uh, gets arrested and gets beat up uh, and is left in a coma. Mm-hmm. And so these three friends are trying to basically navigate how they're dealing with this um, over the course of a day. Throughout it, we get you know this beautiful journey through French culture, like Ketcher was saying. You know, as much as it's about like these three friends and and the system and the way you know systematic uh, racism, systematic economic uh, injustices going mm-hmm. on in France is as much about that as it is about French culture. Um, and a side of French culture that you don't typically see, especially on film. Um, you know, when people think of France or Paris specifically, they think romantic. obviously the Eiffel Tower, romantic, right? Romance yeah. stories. That high fashion. Uh, high fashion, all those sorts of stuff. And this is basically everything you don't see in typical French, at least, you know, in West, in uh, North American portrayal of, of Paris specifically. Mm-hmm. And it captures it so well. And don't leave out like the, the through line of the movie, which is very cool, which is like, during the riots where this uh, one where their friend is like taken in and beaten by the cops, one of the cops in the riot loses their gun, you know, and then right. that sort of is like the sort of inciting situation of like, okay, where's the gun? Who's got it? And what's going on with it? The gun is such a like wonderful device in driving the for like the story forward. I think because we're looking at a day in the life of these three friends, you know, so we're kind of looking at them like they're unemployed, you know, they're victims of circumstance and we're looking at their lives the way it is on a day-to-day basis, but it's a different day because it's like after these like huge riots have happened and the, the first part of the film, you know, they're kind of just meeting up, they're sitting around, they're not doing much. You get a sense that this is like what they do on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And then like the gun is like the gun comes into play. It's kind of this like pivotal moment where things start to kind of just pick up and change a little bit. So everything that was happening before and everything that happens thereafter is, is different in the vein of like what Catcher was saying in our episode of Parasite and like the parasite is power. I think the gun represents this like false sense of power Mm. and safety. And it just gets them into a lot of trouble because the things that they're facing, like in their day-to-day life, they, Vins at least has this, Mm -hmm kind of like this weapon, this thing to fall back on that he thinks is going to save and protect him. And the way the camera follows the gun, like it's just very unsettling. Every time the gun was on screen, I was like, it's going to go off accidentally. That's Mm -hmm. how I always felt. Um, And yeah, it's just like one of, it's just like this tool that kind of like carries out this feeling of like impending doom the whole time. And it's, just yeah it like weighs a ton exactly it's physically huge physically big yeah yeah, exactly but then it also just like 
it is like this thing in the room, like you said. It's mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Yeah. Let's chat about the three main characters. Let's start with off with Vince. He's basically the main character, and and uh, mm-hmm. Boom was already kind of talking about Vince. So Vince is, you know, he's unemployed. He's maybe, you know, kind of like a involved in drugs in some way or another, or involved with like stolen goods, something like that. We're not really quite sure. He, he touches a lot of different things throughout the movie. But he is sort of like, of the three friends, they all represent sort of three different ways that I think people mm-hmm. would approach this situation. So Vin's is very much like his whole driving force is if our friend uh, Abdel, who is in the coma, dies, I'm going to kill a cop. Like that is his driving force. And he kind of acts like the tough guy throughout most of the movie. Do you ever find that like, you don't you don't really believe him though throughout the entire yeah. like from the go right it's just yeah. like okay he is puffing his chest yeah. yes like the the scene that stood out to me like that specifically is when uh, at one point they all get they get the three friends get separated a couple times at one point he runs from the cops and Vince goes to hide in a movie theater and in the movie theater at first he's like pretty scared and then it cuts to a little bit later and all of a sudden he's like smoking a cigarette in the theater and then it pans back and you see he's just smoking next to like a kid and a mom. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, you see him at his toughest point when he's inside like a closed space, uh, you know, in the theater next to a child. He wants to be the sort of tough guy from the projects, but deep down, I mean, he's still a kid. And that's kind of like a theme that goes throughout the whole yeah. movie that at the end of the day, they're all just kids because in between these really intense moments and situations, uh, they have like these childlike and like goofy sort of fun moments. Um, what what else about Vince? What do you think, uh, Boom? Vince is a very interesting character. And again, like what I was saying earlier about like Michaela Cole and her ability to kind of just like show the truths and not be like shy about showing everything. I feel like this movie also very much so does that with its characters. Um, and I think Vince, like you situationally, like you do feel bad for him just like everybody like in some sense you're just waiting for the moment that he like becomes a hero almost Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like that's the way they kind of set him up and there's like that initial scene or that earlier scene where he's doing like the taxi driver um thing in the in the mirror and yeah yeah that is and it's kind of like what you said Ian it's just like I feel like there is this sense that he's like performing his his like toughness and his masculinity and deep down he is just scared but then he's also just kind of and I think they all are just like this big thing has happened that's like mm-hmm. impacted their life and they're just juggling like what to do and like when these things happen now like for example like this past year obviously there's been a lot going on with police brutality and I think a lot of people have taken a look at themselves and they're just like okay like you know this is how I feel and like what am I doing and and if mm-hmm. I were face to face with like a cop like what would I do and how how would I handle that situation and I think for him just standing so firmly even though you don't necessarily believe him and being like yeah and he says if Abdel dies I'm gonna kill a cop and I think like it's very important to his character that he has like firm ground to stand on they're all just looking for like purpose and meaning in life and and to him Mm -hmm. that's it I mean I like them all like I kind of love them as a trio and like yeah yeah, yeah. I I think there is a feeling of like Vin's being the center character but I think it is like the play between the three of them that like mm-hmm. makes it so much better because thematically you can put two of them together when you need to cr- make a point like, oh yeah, okay, this character is going to leave now so that these two characters can you know, <laughs> experience this. You know, like the scene where uh, Said and uh, Uber are in the 
a police station after they're arrested and they're God. like treated horrendously, tortured. tortured. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's like that is, you know, they all are from the projects, right? Yeah. They're all from the same area. Mm-hmm. But the reality is like Vincent Cassell is going to be able to, you know, Vince is going to be able to leave that situation that those, the two of them got caught in, you know, mm-hmm. and it's about exploring the multifacetedness of the situation, right? Like this is not a, and I thought it was interesting because the movie is black and white, which I heard was like for financial reasons, it was just cheaper. But I think mm-hmm. it really plays with this idea of like these guys or Vins really sees the situation as black and white. And so many yeah. people see this situation as black and white. And mm-hmm. as much as problems of the situation are cops are killing people. So they're the bad guy. Like it is yeah. a gray situation and there are so many sides to it. Mm-hmm. And just living in the project, there are different sides to it. And everyone is going to have a different experience depending on a whole bunch of different things. And I think that's what's really great about the movie. Like, it is definitely from the side of the people. Like, it comes mm-hmm. from that angle. But, like, uh, I'll ask you, Ian, like, what do you think about how the film handles the police and their side of things? Because we do get a character in the film who's like the older brother, Saeed, who is like a cop. So, like, something that was interesting to me is, like, uh, Vin specifically, he doesn't want to speak with any cop. He says, like, how can you shake hands with cops, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then the thing that struck me is when they go into, like, uptown Paris, uh, you know, they're asking for directions. And Vin's like, oh, the cops here are so much nicer. But then when, like, the cops in uptown are the ones who end up, you know, torturing Hubert mm-hmm. and Saeed, when the ones in uh, where they're from you know, obviously there's conflict there and, but they were trying to, you know, peacefully get them off their rooftop party. Uh, they helped them get out of jail, all that sort of stuff. Like there, there's tension, but the way they have tension is not even close to what it was there. So I don't think it's fully like, you know, a cab sort of mentality there because they show like there are some cops in the area who are trying to just make the best of like the situation they have. Uber, um, he, sort of strikes that balance and bends most of the movie trying to tell Vince like, dude, you got to wake up. Like, yeah, this is our lot in life. This is how the system works. Uh, you know, we have to work with police who work with us. We have to, you know, acknowledge that we're not going to be able to fix things by just killing one cop, all the sorts of stuff. And I think Hubert represents a very realistic portrayal of how a lot of people feel mm-hmm. like in situations that like you know again like we are in today and that, that sort of thing um but yeah i think the balance is handled very very well throughout the whole movie i'll just say something on ian's point um i personally like don't have a lot of space in my life right now for like both sides right and there were a a few times in this film where I was just kind of like okay where are we going with this um but just on your point of kind of like the uptown cops versus the like central cops. I do think that like, I understand that we do see them kind of trying to like help them out in in certain situations, but there is one thing that I kind of noticed and that I appreciated because so though you don't outrightly see like the cops in the projects kind of just acting um, on violence just because Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. is this sense of like imminent danger when the cops are around and you see it in the way that the people in like the kids and like the people in the projects react to their presence. So Mm -hmm. when like the cops show up to the 
rooftop, you see everybody instantly like gather around Mm -hmm. and kind of like they're there because they know that they have a better chance in numbers. They're better together and they know that like this might be a problem. So Mm -hmm. I do think that like sense of unsafety um, is there. Also, when that kind of like throwdown happens um, between the brother and then the plainclothes cops and then everybody from the neighborhood comes like rushing to his aid. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I I do want to separate the difference between the plainclothes cops and the uniformed cops because I'm not quite sure. It almost seemed like the plainclothes cops were sort of like hourly hired guns, right? Like they they didn't seem like... I mean, I mean, they were cops, but the way they were like speaking to them and I don't know if there's any like weird structure there because it did seem like, you know, when the like the riot squad came out, they those would mm-hmm. seem like they were part of a different thing. But yeah, the plainclothes cops, I do want to mark a difference there. Vince says this at the beginning when he's like the plainclothes cops came in and then they were the ones who started kind of like elevating right. Sh- like right. stuff. And that's something that we see happening a lot yeah. these days as well, right? Like you have people kind of, infiltrating peaceful peaceful protests Mm -hmm. and kind of like elevating it. um, And then it goes from there. So yeah, like the plainclothes cops are like menaces. Yeah. That's interesting. I never even like kind of differentiated the cops in the movie. Like to me, it was like cops were cops. Like the film definitely does not stand on the side of the cops, nor does it feel like it takes any of their side very seriously. But I think what the film tries to do which is a really seriously integral to the whole theme of the movie, which mm-hmm. is like what's happening is not good and yep. what they're doing is not good. But we do need to at least recognize that there are other people on the other side of it so we can fix it. You know, that sort mm-hmm. of idea. But yeah. boom, I totally understand what you mean in terms of like just not having room to, to yeah. want to like yeah. sympathize for them for much longer. And I don't think the film really wants but to sympathize ask, with them. No, it doesn't ask no, you to. There's no. moments where you think it might be, yeah, but I agree, it, yeah. and then, but then the way that everything plays out. And I think I like over explained it a little bit, but just the way I see it. And like, I think it's represented in the fact that Vins is not there when the, when Saeed and Hubert are getting tortured. It's mm-hmm. like the black and brown guys, just like it is today have to be, yes. If anyone's going to be yelling at cops and like talking shit to cops, it's the white guy. Yeah. The black and brown people are the ones who have to say like, no, we need to find like, if there is someone over there who is being nice to us, we have to be nice to them. Like regardless of who it is, like we have to shake their hand. If they're getting us out of jail. Yeah. Like it's a survival thing. So I I agree. It's, it's not like making you say, Hey, like reach out, but it's saying like, it's putting it in your face. Like this has to happen. Like one guy can goof around and, you know, shove cops to kind of no sort mm-hmm. of real punishment. Um, obviously, yeah. until the end, we'll talk about that. But, you know, and then it sort of shows who Bear has to be like, dude, you got to chill out. Like, we need to, we have to survive on our own terms. We can't survive, like, just thinking everything's going to end like this crazy. Yeah, no, how interesting, though, in, in that scene where Vince is giving Saeed a haircut and he 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 makes that claim, like, that he's Arab. Like, he, meant, he, he has this yeah. line where he basically right. claims himself to be Arab, you know? And yeah. he's like, oh, and, and he calls him out on it a little bit. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that is interesting. Like, he is sort of, like, playing up, you know, his character is constantly... He's a kid, so he doesn't have his own opinions or ideas. So he's seeing hurt around him constantly, and he's building this character to mm-hmm. sort of fight this injustice that he sees around him. And he takes it on himself as, like... His like boom, you were saying his like uh, uh, what's the word like this is his crusade. You know he's gonna mm-hmm. fix he's gonna fix all of this. He's gonna fix all of it, and it's like he actually yeah. can't fix any of it. There are a couple scenes I want to discuss 
like I said earlier, I think in between the really like heavy themes and scenes going on, they, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Kasovitz, the director, does a good job of reminding you like at the end of the day, they are kids and they are doing kid-like things. Yes. And they get themselves into like sort of kind of funny, sort of like just like buddy (laughs) movie situations. And one of those scenes where that kind of happens is where they're in uptown. The three guys are in the bathroom uh, and they're sort of just yelling at each other about how like, you know, Vince is like, I got this gun. I'm going to shoot a cop. And Hubert, you know, is sort of saying like, I don't want to do this. And Saeed's sort of just kind of being the goofy like third guy, which is mm-hmm. sort of his role in the whole movie. And then after they have this big, long discussion, like this goofy old man comes out of the bathroom and gives this like epic <laughs> story about a train such a beautiful story. They're on their way. They're on their way to Siberian camps. Yes. Like camps like in Soviet, in Siberia. And they're being trained there. And they stop only ever so often to, to do something. And that's the time for them to get out and use the bathroom. And one of his friends is like afraid like of like peeing in front of people or like using yeah. the bathroom in front of other people. And so hides in a bush. And as he's hiding in the bush, the, the train starts taking off without him and he starts running after the train and as he's reaching up to try and get on the train his pants are falling down (laughs) and then they trip him up so he pulls him back up and he reaches out and because this keeps happening the cyclical nature of he's being embarrassed he can't his pants fall down he can't catch the train he ends up dying because he can't catch on he can't get onto the train and he's left behind and he dies and he leaves such an epic story in the middle (laughs) of the film it's the only time these guys are talked to where they don't say anything. Yeah. Usually they've got a crack. <laughs> Usually they yeah. got some sort of thing to say. They're always like talking shit. And in this scene, they're just quiet and they just listen to this old man tell this parable and they have no idea why. <laughs> so my interpretation of it was that when people are dealt bad cards, you have to stick together to survive. Mm. And it, it is not the time to have pride lead you down the wrong path when you are stronger together than alone. Mm. And I think it's a message for Vins um, because Hubert is trying to say like, we need to think of this as a group. We need to, you know, we need to stick together as, as a squad. We can't be separating and doing stupid things without thinking about the other people or thinking mm-hmm. of your own pride because that's what's going to get you killed or that's mm-hmm. what's going to like le- abandon you. So that's how I kind of thought of it that, you know, <clears throat> I think it was a message for Vins because Vince was all talking big about how he's going to go off and Uber is the one being like, we can't do this. What what were your impressions on that story? It was kind of an interesting moment because I felt like Vince and Uber and, and Saeed in that moment, like I was just kind of like, what just happened? <laughs> I, same, same for me. I was like, and, oh, thank God someone said that because that's how and I, I was, feel. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, they focus on him for quite a while. So you're like, obviously, like this is like a weighted moment. This is something mm-hmm. very important. Um, to me, when I was like reflecting on it, I saw it maybe as like a generational thing. These three guys are just very like overtaken by like their woes and the things mm. that are going on. And as much as they are kind of like looking for it and like looking for solutions, it is, you know, you're young, you're, they're just mm. kids. Like I, I do think that they're a little bit self-centered in the way mm. that they move like mm-hmm. through this. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of just like a moment to be like, Hey, just so you know, like shit's <laughs> been going down and you're not the only one who's suffering not to say that like what they're going through isn't important but just to like get offer them some perspective because their world is small right Mm -hmm. um and now they're in paris and 
things are expanding a little bit for them. So yeah, like I like boom. I was like, okay, so I know this is a thing. Like this, the story is is a metaphor for what's happening, but I didn't put the pieces together right away. Um, so I just was like, oh, well, the film will solve that for me eventually. So then I just finished watching the movie, and then I've just been thinking about it because obviously it's such a important, like it's it's like I said, it's so quiet in that part of the movie because no one's talking. It's just him, mm-hmm. and they're all listening. And for me, like the story is about allowing like your own like centeredness to like get the better of you and instead of like a lot like letting yourself ex- handle the situation that's in front of you as it is yeah. mm-hmm. like, like let you your are, pants fall down and get on the train exactly mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. instead of allowing this sort of like selfish inward behavior mm-hmm. there's a sort of cyclical nature to the the story that he tells this idea of up and then down and then up and then down and the film itself is about the effect that hate has the cyclical and uh, nature of violence and hate and how you continuing to do the same thing over and over again will not solve any mm-hmm. problem. And killing this cop is not going to solve your friend who was beaten and it's not going to solve the problem, but you think it's the best thing to do because it's like your idea and you, and it, it feels so personal to you. The character is allowing this personal thing to take him out eventually because he can't see past it. He, won't, he can't allow himself to see past it. I think that's really like what the film is about is about that feeling of we can't continue to keep doing the same thing and violence is not going to solve this and it's going to continue perpetually over and over. I like that the up down up down sort of thing. I, yeah. I, I didn't think of it that way either. I like that. Man, I could talk about this movie for that's, yeah. hours. But that's, but that's what's so good about this movie and like again, great movies that I was so yeah. excited about this episode to sit down and talk because this really, after watching it, really felt like one of those times, which is the reason why I wanted to do this show, which is like a really good movie. The credits come up and you just like look at the person sitting beside you and you go, damn, what about this? <laughs> what about that? What about this? What, what yeah. about that? You know, and it, yeah. it, it's got so many layers and so many little moments that totally so, so well nuanced. It's so great. I love this movie. Especially with everything that's going on, it's interesting, especially now, it's interesting to see like our different perspectives. Like even that mm-hmm. little the yeah. story about that man, mm-hmm. like we all took see something it. different from it. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of credits, I we we have to talk about the final scene. So the boys are coming to the end of the night and they are sitting down at the train station that's giving news updates and they see that their friend uh Abdel had actually died in the coma. So they, Vince kind of walks out. Hubert thinks that he's going to actually shoot a cop right there. He finds him sort of pantomiming shooting a cop and they give mm-hmm. you a little fake out of this sort of like fantasy that Vince has, uh, but it doesn't happen. Um, and then they head back to uh, their, uh, you know, where their, their neighborhood. And when they're there, the plainclothes cops that we had talked about before, who mm. they had sort of gotten in their face with earlier are now there uh, and they confront Vins and they say, Hey, you're not so tough anymore without the rest of your 20 guys with you. Um, the plainclothes cop holds out, um, uh, the plainclothes cop is like holding a gun, starting to threatening Vins, and then it accidentally it misfires or sort of it seems like it misfires based on the cop's reaction. 
uh, Hubert, who was now in possession of the lost gun that Vince had been mm-hmm. holding the entire movie, comes up. He points the gun at the cop. The cop points it at Vin's. It zooms in on Saeed. Uh, and then you just hear gunshots and then it cuts to black. I think that's one of my favorite movie endings I've ever seen. I was like completely floored by that ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like, yeah, I, I can't stop thinking about it. That was one of the most beautiful, but like heartbreaking ways to end that movie. Totally. Boom. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I agree with you in, in terms of like how shock endings go, even though you kind of know um, that we're kind of leading up to something bad, like mm-hmm. the whole time. Right. I didn't necessarily know that the film was going to end in that moment. Um, and it did take my breath away. As soon as Vin's kind of transfers the gun to Uber, and I don't know if this was just me, like as a black viewer watching it, I was just like, yeah, so concerned and 100%. so worried and I was like I know like nothing good is about to happen and that kind of like long uh, or like th- that shot of just him kind of like walking away yeah. um, and Vin's and Saeed kind of just going on it's just shot so well like ev- like this movie is just shot so incredibly mm-hmm. um, but yes so I think the ending is just like very powerful I do think it's important to note that there's only one gunshot that goes off at the end. At the end, right. So you don't actually know who is dead. Like, you don't know if it's Hubert or if it's the plainclothes cop, um, which I think is also kind of plays into the power of that moment. Mm -hmm. And it is just absolutely heartbreaking. So in terms of, like, the trajectories of Hubert and Vince specifically, so I think Saeed plays, like, a little bit of the middleman throughout the film. Yeah kind of like shows similar traits to both of them in times. But I think Hubert and Vince are like opposite ends of the spectrum. Not Mm. entirely like they're in the same situation, but just in terms of like, I think Hubert is a little bit more idealistic. I think Vince is again, a little bit more um, like take call to action, even though it might be a little bit more performative. So it's interesting that transfer as well. So he gives Hubert the gun and then everything changes. So Vince's trajectory the whole time is just like, he's going to kill this cop, but then it ends up being potentially being Hubert who does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vince ends up dead in a moment. Right. Mm-hmm. So I could probably just babble on about it, but I, <laughs> I, it, it's just, it was just powerful. And it literally just took my breath away. Like yeah. I, I just let myself kind of like sit in the moment and I was like, okay, that was Line, line, <laughs> line, and we just did that. So yeah. that transfer of power happens. Well, I love that. First off, that's a great like line, like the transfer of power. I a hundred percent. That's exactly sort of how it feels. But through the whole movie, like Uber is the one that you're kind of like, okay, at least he's the smart one. Like yeah. he, at least he's he's got a head somehow- on his shoulder. It's weird because it's like he's the smart one and he's got the head on, on his shoulder. And again, this might just be me as a black viewer, but the whole time I was like, he's the, the most in danger. It yeah. seemed oh, yeah. like I was oh, like, yeah. something's going to happen to him. And, but then when it becomes like, when it, Vince is the one, Vince is the one who ends up dead, I'm like, wow. Like, mm-hmm. okay. But I do think, especially at the time, I think Saeed and Hubert are actually, you know, I think uh, 
racism towards Middle Eastern people in mm-hmm. Paris. I know it's really it's more, bad today. Yeah. I think it's also, I think it was also bad. So, yeah. um, but that's just my, from my like, you know, loose research and knowledge on that. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting how, like you said, Saeed is sort of kind of playing, dancing the middle ground, even though I think a lot of people watching it could see that he is equally as like, you know, in danger, in danger as it, but well, that's the thing because when I was watching it, I like just the way see it is played. I was like, I think he's good. Like, yeah, right. If anybody's going to make it out of this, I think it might be Saeed, but that's also my ignorance because I, you know, well, I did end up learning that kind of hit like Middle Eastern or like uh, Arabic people or North African people are like kind of like the height of like the target of, yeah of systemic racism in France. So yeah. Uh, catch What do you think of the ending? Yeah. So, so that idea that like Hubert gets the gun, I had a sort of similar experience, which was like, finally the gun is in the hands of the guy I trust the most in the Mm -hmm. movie. But immediately you're like, but that's a fucking terrible idea. Like Mm -hmm. whatever this is, is bad. And Mm -hmm. so you get that feeling of, okay, something, okay, something could really go wrong here. And then the sort of like, arrest situation starts happening and and then the gun goes off and you're just like it's at the they've crafted the scene so well that it just it hits at the moment of like least likelihood of something Mm -hmm. going off somehow i don't know like in just in the pacing of everything and it takes you back so badly you can't imagine your sort of lead is now like spaghetti on the floor and (laughs) the sound is so loud and you're just like Oh God. And the only person who can do something about this is the guy you don't want to do anything about this. Like mm-hmm. just God, you have a chance. Like you've got the head on your shoulders. Like don't do this. But at the same time, you're like, how do you not do something about this? This is your friend. This man was just murdered. He's yeah. been pro- he's been talking all day about how this gun needs to be used to take it back to the cops. And what, what, what like you can just feel him being pulled toward like mm-hmm. they, the camera work, yeah. like the shots. It's just like, he has no choice. He just gets pulled towards them. And then boom, and then the movie's done and you hear this gunshot and you don't know what's happened. And you're just like, fuck, why can't, why <laughs> can't we get out of this? Yeah. Why mm-hmm. is this the thing that keeps fucking happening? It's fucking, it sucks. It sucks to keep having to, that this could be made in 1995 that this like that we're living in 2020 that they're dealing with it in 1986 and 1968 and every and every fucking year before time like mm-hmm. what what the fuck what are we doing and the movie just captures that what the fuck so well that just like i'm fucking sick and you're just like i don't want to feel this way but like thank you movie for making me feel this way cuz that's why i watch movies and like i want to learn some shit but like I'm fucking tired of seeing people die and it fucking sucks. My, so my, I just need to make one more comment about this yeah. scene. So like something, you know, with the way it ends and the way like it ends so abruptly with those two deaths, we're assuming two deaths happened that quickly. It's mm-hmm. like, I think it's a very poignant note that people's lives end and like these stories of like, you know, murders as a result of gun violence, whether or not it's a cop just happen in a second. And when that mm-hmm. happens, it, that's it. Like it, it, it has happened and there's no more conversation. You know, Saeed, he's so in shock of what happened. He isn't even making a reaction, which I think represents like sort of the viewer. Yeah. Maybe he's sort of, 
just observing it from a third party. But totally, you know, just the way they do it so quickly and so instantaneous and don't, they don't give you time to process it in the film during the time yeah. of the film, at least, I think is just how the director who also wrote it, Kasovitz, he thinks like, this is my reaction. When I found out these killings happened, this is how I yeah. felt at that moment. It just happens in the blink of an eye. And he translated it on the film just like yeah. perfectly, perfectly. Yeah. You think it's interesting that like there's at least a couple times in the movie that scene with the Coke dude specifically, where it's like <laughs> they set up all these situations of almost. Yeah. You know, it's constantly like almost violence, almost gunshot, like almost the gun is used, almost the gun is used, almost the gun is used. So you're just like you're constantly used to seeing it almost used and not seeing it used so many times that you're like, God, when is this gonna go off? And Hubert does like a really strong job with that. Like there's a moment when Hubert and Saya get jumped by neo-Nazis. Um, mm. Oh, sorry, Vins and yeah, who Vins and Saeed get jumped by neo-Nazis and Hubert comes and breaks it up and they end up grabbing hold of one of the skinheads. They take him oh. to a back alley and then Hubert is like yelling at Vins, like you want to use that gun? Like use it right yes. now. Like, like, cause I think Hubert even says like, there are some good cops. There are no good skinheads. So if yeah. you're going to use it, use that gun right now. Well, he calls Vin, his bluff, yeah. Yeah, he calls his bluff, and Vins doesn't end up using it. And so, you know, like like we've said, you know, Hubert had the logic and reason of, like, sort of this gun and how it should be used. And, like, mm -hmm. you can unpack the last three minutes of this movie for four hours and yeah. still have more to talk about. It's, it's totally. Um, man, I wish... We should have split this episode into two parts. Like I feel like I, just, know. I feel like we just like oh. sk like like skim the surface of it. We might have to come back for a part two of Lahain. Like uh, I wouldn't point, hate it at some point <laughs> in the future. You wouldn't lahet it lahet. <laughs> Shout out to my French. Goodbye. Shout out to the French <laughs> listeners. Um, but we do have to move on at some point. I am. We have like a ton of voicemails. Um, yeah. But let let's let's jump quickly. So let's go to our uh, Criterion moment. Um, who wants to go first? I think we might be all fighting for maybe similar scenes. We haven't, as Boom pointed out in our DMs, we have not all picked the same scene. Yet, so let's see if it keeps going. Let's see. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, it's the scene with the with the old man. Okay. Like, yeah. Him coming out of the bathroom is like, you want to have a conversation? Let's have a conversation. Like let's like this movie wants you to think about the things that you do and the mm -hmm. actions that you take, and. He's the only character in the movie to give them five seconds to shut up and actually think. For now, they don't have a clue what he's talking about. Obviously, like the scene ends, they're like, "Why did you? Why did he just tell us that story?" And they're yeah. just like, "What?" Um, but I think, and given like our three, boom, like you said, we had three different opinions on what that scene meant, and I, I will say this every time: that's what makes a good movie. Like I, I see watching movies like going to an art gallery. Like you go mm. and you look at a painting and the painting will do something to you. And depending on what your day is and what you've seen in your life experience, it's going to say something else. And like mo good movies will be something different for each person that sees it. So I think that's the scene that sort of proves that. Boom. How are you? My criterion moment would be like when the gun comes into play. Um, I think that like shot um, that goes and we're just kind of like staring down the barrel of it and just the way that it's handled. And then the way that, it kind of continues to come into play throughout the movie is just really important. And obviously I talked about how I felt about the gun earlier. Um, so there's that, but I just think it's the thing that drives the story forward. And yeah, therefore my criterion moment. There's something cool in that scene. I just love that, like the, where he hides it. 
and then pulls it out. Like, where are they? Like, I love that they sort of like know throughout the whole movie, they sort of like know the area so much better than everybody else. Like they know all the yeah, nooks and crannies and where to go to escape the cops and like mm-hmm. where to hide this gun. Like where, where is this location? I have no idea, but <laughs> I believe in it. I think it's cool. Uh, my moment, I, I would pick the last scene, but we, we talked about it at length. So I'm going to cheat and pick another one to really talk about, but the rooftop party scene, mm. that scene is so like, we've talked a lot about the social economical, political themes of the movie, but just like, I know the cinematography is unbelievable and that rooftop party scene is so well shot. I was just like, I could not stop loving that scene. They introduce you to so many characters. They have that little hot dog gag. (laughs) They, uh, you know, and then the cops show up and it has like that awesome, like sort of standoff. I mean, it's just shot so beautifully. Yes. Like when I saw that movie, I was like, God damn, this, it, it, it was just so, so well done. So, I'll call that out as well um, yeah. for my other criteria we want. Let's go into pairings. Uh, I'll go first on this one. So my criteria, my uh, criterion pairing, my pairing for this movie would be uh, the film City of God. Um, City of God is a Brazilian film yeah. from 2002. Uh, I haven't seen it until recently and it is, I had the same reaction to La Gen, where I absolutely loved it the second I watched it. It's very similar themes. It follows the lives of a couple young boys who live in the Brazilian um, projects. Um, mm. <clears throat> I forget the specific name for them. And it goes through them when they're kids to the adults. And it's all about being trapped in the system and what are you doing to survive? And there's a lot of heartbreak in it. There's a lot of funny moments. It's a lot about brotherhood and friendship. Um, so City of God, I think, is, is, a, is a beautiful pairing for this movie. My pairing um, is a movie we'll probably cover on this show at some point. Um, it's a movie I absolutely love and left me feeling the same way when I finished watching it. So it's Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. It obviously obviously tackles like a bunch of similar themes in a little bit like, I don't want to say lighter way because I don't think it is. But it's I a more just think Spike that, Lee-ified way. He has yeah, a very specific yeah. way of tackling social issues. Yeah, Yeah, and he's really good at just like, well, obviously he's so good with color, so that's yeah, a whole yeah. other thing. But there's all and there's obviously a lot of uh, similar. Like he's obviously inspired the director, and like oh, there's a lot of shots that feel very like Spike Lee, and he's said mm-hmm. as much that he's like mm-hmm. a huge fan of him. Um, yeah, super wide angle lenses and quick zooms, and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, interesting like visual flourishes and things. Um, when I first watched him throw a trash can through the window, mm-hmm. I honestly had no. F- understanding of how I felt about it. It didn't make any sense to me. And a lot of that had to do with just my like lack of understanding of what's going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I mm-hmm. just feel like every time I watch it, like as someone who's not like, who's someone who does not have that as a background, like it is educational for me in a way every time I watch it. And I feel like this movie feels that way as well. And it just left me feeling with, Hey, you have to fucking start, what do you think and how do you feel? How did this make you feel? Mm-hmm. And start exploring why it made you feel that way mm-hmm. and, and start having some questions about yourself. So I think for me, yeah, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing falls perfectly in line with this. It may be a hard Absolutely. watch, maybe a hard double watch. Like you may not want to sit like one City after of God, the other. also a hard double watch. Yeah, so yeah. But I think, yeah, I think it pairs well. Boom. Finally you. Okay, so you guys have gone on with like your hard double watches. (laughs) So I'm going to like introduce. (laughs) 
I'm just going to boomify this whole sitch. And <laughs> thank you. Save us. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've been like super into uh, Afrofuturism mm-hmm. in film and literature lately um, or like genre films that kind of focus on like dis- the disenfranchised or like marginalized folks. Um, and one of the reasons I kind of like this so or like like Afrofuturism and things like that so much um, is because it like often takes like unlikely subjects and positions them as heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, so this film kind of came to mind after watching uh, La Line, La Line, <laughs> yes. La Line. Um, and I was sort of just laughing because a I needed a laugh. Um, <laughs> And B, I was just kind of like imagining it as like this off the rails sequel where like Hubert survived the standoff with the cop and him and Saeed continue to like live life in the projects. But then they find their purpose and become heroes when they save their block from an alien attack. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, yes. So the film I've chosen for my pairing is uh, the 2011 Attack the Block. (laughs) Amazing. I don't, uh, I'm sure, I feel like you guys have definitely seen it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just like too good and and it's a lot of fun, but, you know, and it's obviously a very different movie from Lahain, but, you know, there are some similarities in terms of like how the protagonists live their lives and you know, how they've been failed by the system. And there's also like these violent presences or presence or this Mm -hmm. violent presence that kind of like threatens their life force. Um, Like in Lahaina, it's cops and (laughs) in Attack the Block, it's aliens. So I don't know. I just kind of was, again, just like imagining it as as this like sequel. And even though it's definitely not that, but I just think it's... I think Attack the Block is an important film to watch and I, and and it's a lot of fun and it's just very good. Also, it's not going to bum you out. And it, and it, yeah, exactly. And it's not going to bum you out as much, which is like also okay. Like I think <laughs> yeah. we yeah, yeah, exactly. definitely need to watch films like this and kind of like, again, sit in it and understand like the weight of it. But then we also kind of need to watch things that are like a little bit more, Absolutely. you know, fun Afro and easy bubble going. Gum. Afro, Afro bubble. bubble gum. Yeah. So awesome. So let's move on to our listener voicemails and emails. If you want to shoot us a voicemail or email, you can send it to sendonotspod at gmail.com. We got a couple for these. Uh, so let's start with our first email. This is from our old pal Slim at 70 millimeter. He says, Hey, first time, long time. I found out that Martin Scorsese's The Irishman is in the criterion. My question is, what? Is this not yep. a joke? How can I cancel my subscription to the Criterion <laughs> channel? Please forward my email to the Criterion support team. Thanks for your time. Sending off from Sector 215, signing off. I am with you, Slim. I, this is I, the customer service department for the Criterion <laughs> collection, by the yeah. way. That's I, where we work. That's just us. That's where we are right now. I didn't even finish. I didn't even finish Irishman. I that had movie was such zero garbo. desire to it watch was, it. I, I don't need to watch a four-hour movie about the same gangster th- storyline that we've heard a thousand times by the same director with the same actors. Yeah. It's just like, you I, tell could, I could have cared less. Get that, get that movie out of here. Out of just here. watch <laughs> silence. And, just watch silence instead. Get that out of mm. here. Any, any <laughs> defenders, any defenders of, uh, Irishman. Get 
get out of here. Uh, <laughs> I, I've not seen it. Don't I have at no, me. I have no negative or positive feelings okay, towards I'll, this movie. I'll speak towards it. Trash, you both Garbo. are speaking just enough for me. I yeah, that's I haven't Garbo. seen it. I'm just so bandwagoning here. Yeah, just no, do it. I'll, I'll hop on. Uh, get it out. We actually got three. We got all. We got emails from every member of. Uh, 70 mm. So let's, let's head oh, over nice. to one from Proto. Maybe cowards or heroes or bullies and everything in between. So I really love that part of the movie. Um, love the show. Can't wait to hear this episode. I love the Criterion Collection. It has so many interesting movies. So I'm excited to see what continues to pop up in the feed here. I also love the segment you do at the end where you do the pairings. I think that's such a, a neat idea to mix in movies with you know, any other form of media and really anything. So I really enjoy that part of it. I watched Lahane and uh, I loved it. I'm so glad you guys decided to cover it. Um, I think my favorite part is the scene where Hube goes back to his, uh, his mom's house. Oh, yeah. And he's in his mm-hmm. room and he's like hanging out and he rolls a joint and listens to music. Um, because you see this character first – as this, I mean, this, you know, really jacked dude who's pounding <laughs> on a, a boxing bag and then a punching bag. And then he, um, then you see him in this room and he almost looks like a little kid in the way he's mm-hmm. just, you know, chilling in his room waiting for the hours to end. Uh, and I thought this movie does a great job of just showing the range of characters of where they can, you know, appear at first to be. Um, you know, like tough guys, but then maybe cowards or heroes or bullies mm-hmm. and everything in between. So I really love that part of the movie. Um, love the show. Can't wait to hear this episode. Thank you, Proto Lexus. Spiritual you. leader of uh, so nice to hear from 70 Proto. MM. All right, and let's go to Danny Haas, last member of uh, 70 MM. Hey, Sinanots, this is Danny. Long time, first time. I wanted to call and leave a quick voicemail. Uh, I wanted to thank Boom, first and foremost, for picking the movie Rafiki. It was an absolutely beautiful film. I loved watching it. I spent a few days in Nairobi, Kenya myself, and the people were amazing. Uh, The country is amazing. Uh, It was such a beautiful place. So it was really cool to see a film uh, that took place there. Um, So thank you for picking that. Ian, uh, you know damn well that 80s and 90s Spielberg, <laughs> he was king, and I will die on that hill. And catcher, <laughs> love for you to elaborate a little bit more on Star Wars: The Last Hope. I haven't heard of this one yet, um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Uh, thank you. Have a great day, guys. God, you know, of all, Danny's like the biggest Star Wars fan that I know, and he's never watched The Last Hope. Clearly the best film <laughs> big, in the trilogy. Big poser. It takes yeah. place in uh, 2020. <laughs> yeah, of course. Duh. It's very soon away from now. Far, far <laughs> close close to here. Big, big Super poser. Super close to here. <laughs> Thank the you, last Danny. Hope. All right. So this is from our dear friend, Mikey P. Hey, Cinenauts. Mikey P here. Wanted to thank you for picking Lahane. Ian, uh, it was one of the best movies I've ever seen. The camera work was magnificent. What a treat. Nothing really to add. I'm sure you guys will go into it. Um, wanted to pick a movie to pair it with just because I kept thinking about it. Uh, kind of cheesy, but the friends hanging out, the uh, social civil disorder and run-ins with the cops. I kept thinking about 
Boys in the Hood. Yes. And so I'd be that my was parents. almost yes. my parents. Uh, great movie. Love the. Uh, I want to watch it again. Um, thanks. Later. Thank you, Mikey. I almost went with Boys in the Hood. Actually, that was really? I was dancing yeah. between that and City of God. I've nice. Uh, God, mm. Boys in the Hood. What a movie. Uh, and the last one from uh, Timothy, our boy Tim. Hey, Cinnats. Here to tell you how much I'm enjoying your podcast. I look forward to all your future episodes. The movie Lahaine is a favorite of mine. I, it's an outstanding piece of cinema, great camera work, great sound design, brilliant performances. Um, the first half of the movie is lovely, how the director composes the shots with his three characters against such vast emptiness, making them seem so insignificant. Mm-hmm. Second half of the movie, he switches his filming mm-hmm. style to maybe a little more telephoto lens, making them seem more out of place. Um, yeah, outstanding fiction uh, based on sort of True events, if you will. The uh, fact that this movie came out in 1995 definitely um, borrowed some imaging and techniques from Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, just in his smash cuts Mm, and his zooms. There you go. Um, And just the general story and plot of the movie of our three characters and their two sort of opposing ideas of how to deal with violence and hatred in their life, whether they try and combat violence with violence uh, and gain some sort of respect or if they you know, mm-hmm. ignore violence and search for peace through uh, more traditional non-violent ways. It's a f- brilliant movie. I love it. I love the way it starts and begins in the same spot. Uh, yeah. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. See ya. Thanks, Tim. Damn. Thanks. Yeah, that was good. Do we need Tim, Do we need Tim on the show? Yeah, we do. We'll reach out to your people. Yeah. Uh, my thing with, we said it before, like I wish we could have, I could talk about this movie for four hours. So thank yeah. you for the, for Mikey and uh, Tim specifically for talking about like the cinematography and just the technical prowess of this film because it, it is really hard to it say how, how amazing that is. All right. So let's wrap this mission up. Oh my God. Boom. Okay. Where are you taking us next week? Okay, so this is the first addition, as in, this is like the first film that we are doing that we are arguing whether or not it should be in the Criterion. Um, so that somehow fell on my shoulders, and I am terrible <laughs> at making decisions. So <laughs> this has been a journey. So um, I'm sure some of you saw the poll that I made on. Uh, Instagram about left hand, right hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, coincidentally, it had nothing to do with how you view the hand. Um, that was in the picture. That was just a hand kind of coming up for help because I needed help. But I think <laughs> it's hilarious. I spent I spent so much time thinking about that stupid those stupid hands. And you know what? It's like it's the middle of a pandemic. Like it's yeah. quarantine. We needed something to do. So you know what? You are welcome. Thank you. So I'm going to take a look here because I have it written down. I have left hand. So I've boiled it down to two titles. Because do we get to know what the two titles are, or are you just well, going to keep? Them? I'm probably no, not going to tell it. you what. The, I'm it, not going to yeah. like let you know what the other one is in case I want to do it for mm-hmm. another pick. Okay. Um, so it is, uh, there have been 26 people who have voted and 19 said right hand, seven said left hand. Okay. Okay. So my right hand pick (laughs) is a little out there. It is, um, Catherine Bigelow's 1995 sci-fi noir 
Strange Days. Yes. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Catherine okay. Bigelow. Let's go. Ray Fiennes, okay. Angela Bassett. Yes, exactly. Um, so this is a movie that I kind of like my late teens found mm-hmm. and really liked. Um, and I was thinking like when I was making a selection for this, I was like, we haven't done sci-fi yet. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, like that narrowed it down a bit. And this is a movie that I really love. Whether or not it should be in the Criterion, we will find <laughs> out. Because we are, again, the Criterion um, gatekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> and what we say goes. Customer service and we make the list. Yeah. And I also was excited because I probably haven't watched this movie in like maybe five or six years. So it'll be like a bit of a revisit for me. So I'm excited to see if I feel the same about it. The, as I once did, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. Excellent. So that's what's happening. Fantastic picks. So that is our first Criterion Edition episode. It's going to be Strange Days, directed by Catherine Bigelow, uh, starring Ray Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis from 1995. Looking forward to it. Well, man, I, I... I am going to, in a couple months, I think I might rally for a Lahane part two. I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, there's just so much to unpack, but I had a lot of fun tonight. Yeah. So did I. I'm eagerly looking forward to talking to y'all next week. As am I. Strange days and strange Strange days. Strange days and strange days. (laughs) Thanks again for everyone listening. Uh, Boom catcher. I will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Ian. Bye guys.